0: Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church gear. To,
1: to, Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-A-R? To, Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers And speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always
0: work. Okay, what if I just did something like, go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works. Blake, do you know any words in Japanese? Uh,
1: no, but I can count to four in Korean. Welcome to the Church Gear Podcast, where we pull the tech out of the booth and onto the stage to share the most outlandish stories and hidden wisdom from the tech trenches. And now, here are your hosts. I'm your host, Blake Hodge, is a man who picked up a little Korean back in my Taekwondo days, and I'm here with my co host who speaks very fluent Japanese, Toby Walters. Hey! I- <laughs> nope, nope. We're not culture appropriating on this podcast. Let's it's move not, on from
0: that. That's how you say yes in Japanese. Hey. Is, it, hey. is it really? Yes. Oh, that's cool. That's yes in Japanese. You All ever right. heard of Sayonara? Is that Japanese? Yeah, it's goodbye in Japanese. Huh. Ohio is good morning. Now, now I want you to prove to me um, that you can count to four in Korean.
1: Hana, tool, set, net, dasit, yasit, if you want to go to five to six. You, you just
0: said two for two. Is it like the same word? You said two. It's two. Mm, but you pronounce it like a Tennessean.
1: Well, when you learn Korean in
0: Tennessee, <laughs> you don't do it well. <laughs> well. There's very little you do well, Blake. But well, let's see if we can find something anything on this podcast. So speaking of Japanese, my dad, when I was growing up, my dad, um, he was a third grade teacher, but then he would have summers open. And my mom said, well, you need a job during summer to keep yourself busy. Cause I can't entertain you. Cause my dad's a little like your, hyperactive. Your and, mom was like, I need to not deal with you in the summer as exactly, well. Exactly. exactly, Just like the kids. So he got um, connected with a Japanese ex, uh, exchange student program and he would host um, help host Japanese um or exchange high, students? Yeah, high school age. And it we actually the, the program partnered with a private girls' school. So they were all teenage girls that came over for two weeks in the summer and they would go, go to live at host homes for two weeks and they would learn about American culture. And this was in San Diego. So they would visit, you know, landmarks and different places. And our family became friends with the administration of the school. Usually half the administration. Them, that sounds so fancy. Well, it wasn't necessarily even the teachers. It was like the headmaster and the principal. And, you know, in Japan, they're a lot more formal in their titles. So, Oh, I it love a, it. I love a good title. It's a private school, so they had they had a headmaster. So one year, and it was, I don't know, five or ten years after having started working with this school, they would – and the Japanese are wonderful gift givers. I don't okay. know if you know this about them culturally. They give very extravagant gifts. I would do bad in Japan. I'm a real bad <laughs> gift giver, tragically. So, every year they would come and they would give us a, a gift as a family, like even either individual gifts or a specific um, like family gift. And one year they gave us a family trip to Japan. <laughs> what? Yes. They said, we'd love to have your family come over and spend a couple weeks in Japan. We will take care of everything And we want you to see the school and meet the students and, you know, experience our culture. And so my parents are like a free vacation, essentially. And I have two siblings. So there's five of us. And they said, absolutely.
1: There was only four tickets. They left you, didn't they?
0: They wanted to. But (laughs) little Toby, and I was 10 years old at the time. Little Toby. So we fly over and we, I'm almost, when I get to the end of the story, you're going to be surprised we didn't fly first class. But we flew over coach. And we get there and they pick us up at the airport in two brand new Mercedes. And as we are driving from the airport to our hotel, they explained to us and very apologetically, and I'm dead serious. They were so apologetic that they realized that their Mercedes, one Mercedes would not fit our entire family. So they bought another one. They bought it. They bought another Mercedes so they could transport our family around during this vacation. And they take us to our hotel, which is in um, – like they have the Japanese name and then the the U.S. name. The U.S. name is the Imperial Hotel because it is next to and overlooks the Imperial Palace. Okay. And we stayed in the presidential suite. This is ridiculous.
1: I'm waiting for you to say joke at the end of this.
0: Which was 3,500 square feet. Oh, my gosh. It's bigger than your house, Blake. Yeah. It's like two of your houses. It's like five of them. They would take us out to – lunches and dinners with some of the teachers, some of the administration, and then our family. Um, and again, I'm 10 years old. So I'm getting this information from my dad, like after the fact, And he, like, every day he would be like, yeah, that meal was $600. That meal was $700. And they um, they also took us, two of the days, they took us to this resort right at the base of Mount Fuji. And they had us stay in... Um,
1: Fuji, that's where they get the, the water, right? Obviously. The Fuji water? Sure. Fiji water.
0: <laughs> Fiji water, never <laughs> mind. Totally different things. So they have, they stay in this suite. And we realized later on, they, they explained to us, this is the suite where the prime minister and his family stay. This is ridiculous. This is insane. This doesn't make any sense. And so we were literally treated like royalty. And one of my favorite moments is as we actually toured the school. If you know Japanese, like they all have dark hair like there there are no blonde japanese people unless they dye their hair cultural appropriation so i am 10 years old and i at this point in my life i am very blonde i'm a toe-headed kid so there's a picture of me in it was in their gymnasium i think they even might have had a uh, like a gathering of everybody to to come meet us and i feel like my dad spoke and then they translated did they think your dad was the
1: president or something I'm did serious. he do a bill clinton impersonation and they were like oh <laughs>
0: Uh, it was, this would have been uh, first George Bush. I don't know. This this doesn't
1: make sense.
0: And so there was a picture of me at 10 years old surrounded by a bunch of teenage Japanese girls just trying to touch my hair because they had never seen blonde hair in real life. It was like I was a rock star. It was amazing. Or you were a pet in the zoo that had escaped a
1: cage and they could suddenly.
0: My, my dad's nickname for me was the yellow haired bear growing up. So I am kind (laughs) of a pet in my family. I'm the youngest, and it does fit. Oh my gosh! So well, I just want you to know the expectations I have for when I'm I'm hosted places and go visit places. I expect to be treated the same way every single time.
1: Well, I, I'd have to say my basement that I that we all hung out in for the leadership lunch had to be
0: just as good of a story. Just as I mean, you mix a mean, a mean drink when you yeah when you can.
1: I mean, we were sitting catty corner to the cat box, so I'm sure that smelled delightful. Yeah, we but... were
0: like Toby. Do you want another whiskey sour? And I was like, hey. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, uh, introducing a man who seemingly has stored every inch of the world, including including what we assume all of Japan, even every inch of that hotel that Toby was in, the freelance production manager, front-of-house mixer, Harold Rubens. Harold, do you buy
2: Toby's story? Because I don't. Man, I am I'm so impressed. Uh, that, that was quite a story. That was quite a story. Why, man. why did they do um, that? Yeah. It's the
0: Japanese culture. They are a very just uh friendly uh they're big on hosting and making sure that yeah. like th- their own houses and their own lives that they live are much simpler but when they host guests they go over the top That's just their their cultural uh the way of being but that's yeah. that's incredibly nice yes they are incredibly nice huh harold have you been I to had a friend of
2: mine said I mean, I haven't. I have not. Uh, that, I that, be that, Sorry to disappoint early. <laughs> sorry to disappoint early in the podcast. But the um, uh, but I had a friend that uh, went out and did a show, did a series of the shows out there. And he said he came back, he goes, I've never had a writer fulfilled to the nth degree. Uh, I mean, every little thing, every cable, every instrument, the exact size, the exact brand, the exact everything. Um, and spares and I mean, unbelievable um, how the crews out there worked. And uh, so, yeah, that's very uh, evident and corroborating about the story that you just told. So, yeah, this is the, this is the kind of detailed culture I would like to live in. Yeah. I'm sure a lot
0: of uh, tech directors are thinking, man, maybe I need to uh, go visit Japan to do some shows over there, get all my writers fulfilled.
1: For real. All right. So let's do this five truths and a lie. Let's see if Harold can fool us. Um, Number one, once lost the front-of-house audio console 30 minutes before a stadium show. Just for context, Blake, that's not good. Well, and I, hang on a second. I know <laughs> it's not good when the Avantis goes flying down a hill. Um, Avantis, that's cute. How do you how do you lose it? I'm guessing it hadn't been set
0: up because these are big things. Like, you can't... It would, like, it would die, like a computer crashes. Oh,
1: okay. So it's not like it got... Okay, got it. It
0: didn't get misplaced <laughs> is what I assume. Again, we're trying to... He's, he's not giving us the clues here, but that's what... It would typically mean when a front of house engineer says, I lost the console, it crashed. That's why I was confused. I was like, how do you lose
1: it? Yeah. Number two, once dropped a line or a speaker column on a person. Was that person's <laughs> name Quentin <laughs> Kelly?
0: <laughs> if you dropped it on <laughs> cue, then we I already w- know it's true.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was not involved in that one. Okay. Number three, once saved a presidential speech at the White House. Once saved it. Dang. That, that speech accepted Jesus Christ. <laughs> Number four, I am halfway to an egot Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Dang, that doesn't surprise me. Look at his mic. This is a this is a man who shows up. He's he's got the business. Number okay, five. Blake, what's a Tony? Uh, I know what an Oscar and a Grammy and a and an
0: Emmy is. I don't know what a Tony's your nickname. It's it's
1: what <laughs> no, my it's phone not. tries
0: to t- make you. <laughs> Tony's an award for uh, like Broadway productions for plays and. Playwriting and
1: gotcha, that kind of stuff. Number five, I started running sound when I was 14 years old.
0: This seems like a common theme. It's like right around like 12 to 14. Yeah, is I'm not falling guys. for that yeah. time. That one's just true. Unless he started when he was like eight. Well, that is how he would get us.
1: Six and finally, I once mixed a show with guards with machine guns around wow.
0: me. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, I, I I think there are a lot of different parts of the world where that would be true. So, Yeah, I'm going to just lock in and say that he did not drop a line array on a person. I mean, to have that happen twice now, because we've already had Q on the podcast and it literally dropped on his face. It should have killed him. Yeah, and he's still such a beautiful man, which I don't understand, but...
1: I can't look good normal as, as no. good as Q can with a maybe face Maybe we should line drop array. a line array on
0: your face and maybe it fix it. <laughs> That's what we should do. <laughs> wow. Right, okay, so lock in your life. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that he did not, oh, these are hard. Come, Come on, Toby. I'm gonna say he did not lose the front of house audio console. I'm gonna say like it it almost happened, but it didn't didn't actually happen.
1: All right, Harold, we're locked in. What's your lie? What did you say, Blake? Uh, I, Which one was yours? I said you did or is not, it together?
2: I said you did not drop a line array on a person. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, um, okay, both of those are true.
1: Ah, What was your lie? <laughs>
2: Uh, the lie is, um, I'm halfway to any got. Are you more or less? I am a less, I, I have an Emmy, I have a Grammy nomination, but, uh, no Oscar, no Tony. So I do have a Grammy on my mom's side and my dad's side and I do know an Oscar and I do know a Tony, but I don't, don't have any of those awards. So you're saying that you have to win
0: those cause you've been nominated for a Grammy, you said, but that you're not counting that.
2: The Grammy, I was uh, part of a project that, was, uh, that ended up uh, receiving Grammy nominations. And so, um, so, the, so yeah, uh, we didn't win that category. Uh, but, uh, but I do have a nice little certificate. But um, uh, an Emmy, I did uh, win. I was part of a project that was an w- uh, Emmy Award winning project. I was a music recording engineer for it. And then, um, uh, not, nothing, not, no Oscars, no Tony's. What was the Emmy project? The Emmy project was, um, uh, is called, it was a documentary called Sam Houston and American Statesman. And what it, what, what it involved, it was a, um, uh, so basically it was a a period piece, uh, the history of Sam Houston. And so basically um, uh, the director, the producers wanted to have a lot of period music. And so, and it not just be canned music. And so we recorded a lot of, uh a, a fife band a lot of penny whistles uh marching drums uh things that would be playing in the background and um things that were playing along and so yeah it was uh, it was very educational for me but it was uh it was good and then funny thing about that was that um it won and i didn't find out till about three or so years later um just <laughs> happened the, the the yeah the director uh Kind of came across on some social thing. And I was like, oh, I wonder what he's doing. And I clicked on it and his, his title, something said, the description said, uh, uh, Emmy Award winning director, or whatever. And I was like, oh, what? Do you, I didn't know. It. Because when we had talked, he didn't, you know. So then I clicked on it and I was like, whoa. And I was like, didn't that thing want to, Emmy? So then I started <laughs> looking, I went to the Emmy plays and I started looking it up and I was like, what the heck? Yeah, so why my this? Oh, and he's like, Hey, yeah. He's like, uh man, yeah, absolutely. Uh man, contact these people. I'll I'll send in something and you you, you can you, you'll get your plaque or whatever and I'll talk. So then I'll contact them. Sure enough, I there I am listed and and they sure we were you know, just give us an address and we'll send you the plaque. We need to get a better
1: communications director for the Emmys.
0: This is stupid. Because we're still waiting on our Emmy Award for the Church Gear podcast. Exactly. Well, and now
1: we have hope is what I'm
0: hearing. Yeah. And as dramatic as you are, (laughs) I I think we qualify (laughs) for a
2: Tony, Blake. I think you can, you know, there's there's the the big uh, uh, televised event that uh, happens, you know, the Emmy Awards and stuff like that. And then there's, throughout the country, there's a bunch of other events that are recognized that are obviously not a televised show or some big mainstream show or something like that, or some soap opera or whatever. And, you know, and so, uh, but yeah, in there it was, it's official. So, so I do have, I do have a, a an Emmy award, uh, a Grammy nom, uh, but, and then, uh, no Oscar, no Tony. So that was, the, that was the lie. I mean, that's pretty impressive because Blake has
0: been nominated for nothing. And I have been nominated dually. for Glutton of the Year. You know award. What? Yeah, there you go. These
2: days, I feel that we can we can nominate anybody for anything. That's true. Just about Glutton you of, you know, of the Year. I see? identify I as mean, an egot winner. <laughs> like <you> said, so. <laughs>
0: And I I'm mean, looking at your yeah. first two, Harold. Uh, these are clearly leading to some disaster stories, which we're going to try and get out of you later in the episode. But I want to jump to this okay. mixed with a show with guards with machine guns. Uh, give us some context there. It was yeah. this in Texas. Okay. It sounds like a Texas deal.
2: No, no, right. <laughs> no, it's not in Texas, but it was right next to Texas. It was in Louisiana. Uh, so, um, and uh, I was with a... Um, uh, uh, so the the show was a televised event at, at um, uh, Angola State Penitentiary, which mm. is the penitentiary for the maximum securities penitentiary for the state of Louisiana. And so um, uh, uh, what it was, it was the Broken Tabernacle Choir and Jim Cimbala doing a ministry event. And this is this is like 98 or 99, somewhere in there. And um, and. What that prison is known for, except uh, uh, other than being, you know, a maximum security prison and and, you know, uh, losing and being a no parole state. It's a uh, you can imagine that the people that are in there, it's 20 to life, you know, so and you're not getting out, you know, and so the populations, there's inmates. And one of the things that the prison is that prison is known for um is the prison rodeos? If you know the famous prison rodeos, that's the that's the famous one. And so they have a big uh, prison arena or prison. Yeah, they have an arena, a rodeo arena. And so we were in the infield part of it, um, uh, with a small seating area in front of it, and then all the whole audience area was surrounded with uh, fence and you know barbed wire and everything. And all around it was guards with machine guns. And I was at front of house, which is right next to the fence, and uh, um, there was guards around me. Uh, and and while we were doing the show, you know, there was that's I'd never had that before, so it was quite a quite a quite a treat to have the the guard of honor.
0: Um, Blake, I'm waiting for the moment that I was you very and well get protected to, uh, to host a live podcast at Angola State Prison with guards with machine guns.
1: Toby, I will be your bodyguard as I'm always the chief of security for you. Um, That's
2: terrifying. Okay. So Harold, it seems like. I I, I do have, there's, there's a really neat story attached to that, that, please. Man, I tell you, uh, and I don't know if this is a place to tell it, but, but it's, uh, you know, I told you kind of the population that's there and, and, um, and there's some prisoners that are called trustees and they're allowed to, you know, be within normal population, you know, and, and, um, there was this one, um, so the opening act, I would say for the event was the prison band. They had, they had a band that they had assembled that actually would go and play at other, at other chur- at other churches, at other prisons as part of a, you know, uh, it was a really neat thing, but there was a band that they had internal band and they would play. And, and so they were the, they were going to start the, the, the event, And, uh, and this guy was kind of at front house, you know, when I was, you know, he was in his jumpsuit and everything and I was there mixing and, and uh, he he comes over to me and he's like, you know, from the first thing when I just, okay, sound, okay, kick drum, you know, let me hear the kick drum and it comes over the big speakers and just, you know, hits you in the chest and, and his face is lit up and he's like, whoa, and he's just really enthusiastic, really excited about everything that we, you know, was doing and the sound and. And he, and finally I finally just kind of looked, I was like, Hey man, I was like, so do you do sound? And he goes, I I, I do the sound for the, uh, for the prison band. And I was like, Oh, and so I immediately kind of had a connection with him, And I, we started, uh, you know, mixing the thing and, and uh, man, this guy was so excited to hear his band. Uh, you know, I'll say his band, but, you know, in that environment playing for, you know, bigger in an arena, you know, and but with big speakers and everything. And the energy and just, he was just thrilled. And I just remember I, at one point, um, I, I leaned over to the guard and I go, Hey, is it okay if I, is it okay if I let him get on the console? And, you know, and he goes, yeah, it's fine. And so I, at the appropriate time when I had everything kind of going and everything going, anything, I kind of looked at him, he looked at me, I go, Hey, come over here. And, and he, I said, like, go ahead. You got it, man. You got it. Here's the vocals. Here's in the, and I, you know, I was right there, but he did it. And, I mean, to this day, I mean, the face, his face, just how he lit up, you know, and and got to do that, you know, and experience that. Uh, it was a gift more probably for me than I could ever have given him. But uh, it was a it was a really neat story that day, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that was it, man. That was uh, it's amazing the places that I've got that, that you get to go and you get to, you know, get to do. But that was one of them for sure that sticks with you.
1: That is really cool, man, that you set that moment up for him. I, I love when people can realize in a moment how they could give someone else a great moment like that. That's really cool. And I, yeah. It sounds like you've yeah. had a lot of those. I mean, you've been uh, producing or running front of house for every major Christian tour it seems like for the past 100, 150 years. Um, so how in the world did you get started in the space? How did you become such a fixture in the Christian to- touring industry? I mean, is there some secret in this... Ar- Ar- oh, I can't say it. Argentinian. Argentinian sauce. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, I mean, you, uh, you've worked with all the names. You know, my, like, you,
2: know, you know, my, you know, my roots, man. Um, uh, well, the secret's not in the Argentinian sauce. Although I would like to say that maybe that's the, that's the spice I bring to things. But, <laughs> um, uh, but I would say, man, um, I got, um, I guess I'll probably, this will give away the, uh, the other truth. But, um, uh, but I would, you know, I, I was, uh, I was around 14 years old where, um when I kind of got the bug, when I kind of got the, um, um, when things kind of lit up for me in this area, um, and the way it happened, um, before this time, you know, the idea of, of, of audio or audio equipment or audio people or, or any, you know, that, that whole world, it wasn't even in my radar. Like I just didn't even, didn't even think about it, you know? Um, uh, and, uh, around 14, 14 years old, I went to a uh, a concert in in the Astronome, which is the big it was the big NFL stadium at the time in in Houston, Texas. And it was Michael Jackson. It was the Victory Tour. And uh, I remember going to the concert. And uh, aside from it being a you know phenomenal spectacle, you know with with Michael, but the it, one thing I remember is somewhere in the show, I remember looking down and seeing an island of glowing equipment in the middle of this place. You know, you typically go to a concert and there's front of house and there's a bunch of equipment there. And so it caught my eye. And uh, I just, every once in a while, I'll just be glancing down there and and uh, kind of assessed that, that something that was happening in that area had to do with what was happening on on the other side of the, 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 the stadium and on the stage. And so after the show, I kind of make my way down to the, the, the booth area to, to look around. And, you know, um, I didn't, I didn't know then who the person was. I know, I know now who the person was that I spoke to, but, um, um, and I can't really tell you, um, some big magical or some big profound thing that he said. The one thing I do know that he didn't do, um, and I will forever continue to do this for, uh, when people walk up to the booth or whatever, is that he didn't turn me away. He didn't shoo me away. I was this 14 year old kid, probably wide eyed and wow, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you do here? You know? And, and he took the time to, um, answer, answer, tell me something. Right. And, and, um, and just that simple act, um, um, it, I know, I know kind of when we look at things, sometimes we we have an action and then there's all these ripple effects. Right. And then uh, what that transpired to is that, you know, that weekend I go to church, you know, and I go to my youth group, you know, and all of a sudden, oh, there's a soundboard. There is somebody controlling things. There's equipment. There's, you know, this. And, you, and then you go to big church, you know, and then you kind of go, oh, they're, they, the, that that world opened up, you know. um, And and so it. That was, that's, that's the earliest I can say, you know, back at 14, 13, 14 years old, where I, that area kind of came into my focus. Um, and what and then from there on, it was, gosh, that would have been, so that would have been eighty four eighty 80, I know the tour so, was 84. So at so the height I of Michael
0: been, Jackson's fame, like he's the biggest artist in the world. And that moment just clicked with your, well, the, your heart and your soul. The
2: victory tour would have been like the victory tour would have been the the thriller record. Okay, um, it yeah. was the first time Michael did by himself when he was not the Jackson Five, and you know, so that was the and so. So you, you know, take that experience,
0: um, and then you're you're at church, and it's you know you're suddenly realizing, oh, there's there's production at church, but you know, back in mid eighties, production was very different as far as the the equipment and the things that were being done. Um, did, was it just sound at that point, basically just running audio? Uh,
2: no, I mean, for me, you're saying, you're asking the question just for me, the, like the what awoke woke world
0: me? was, was there any video or lighting oh, back then or was it basically, there was very, sound
2: guys? yeah, it was very different. Like there was church and then there was concerts, you know, and, um, uh, this, the, today, those lines are kind of blurred a little bit, not, it, not so much in the, in the. Place, But a lot of churches are concert venues and and then a lot of churches actually have better gear than what's out on tours, you know, and and a lot of church gear is used when tours come through. So like, um, but that wasn't the case back then, you know, yeah, church was, you know, big pulpits and, you know, and, and piano, orchestra, choir, you know, maybe a pipe organ, you know, I mean, you, you think of your traditional first, second Baptist church, you know, and, and churches and and, and that's kind of what it was, you know, and so. Um, so, but, um, coming back from, from, uh, from uh, the concert and coming back to church, it was like, all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's some, there is a person that's making a decision or making adjustments for how it sounds there's a person that is making an adjustment for how the lights come on. So maybe we didn't have moving fixtures and maybe we didn't have, you know, video cameras everywhere and screens everywhere and stuff like that. But, and maybe we didn't have, you know, um, I mean, we had big boards back then. They were just a whole lot bigger because there weren't mm-hmm. digital boards. <laughs> they were huge. You know? Yeah. But, but the, uh, um, but, uh, the concept of somebody actually being able to uh, to make an adjustment and making a decision for the mass, for the mm-hmm. congregation, you know, to that that concept. And and that drew me. And so when I got drawn to it, you know, my first step was asking my youth leader, hey, who, what what is, who does this? Oh, that you know, and he pointed out a person and I went and talked to him. And, and that person was also kind of inviting. It's like, oh, yeah, you can, you know, I'll, I'll stand here, watch, you know, and. And quickly that kind of became a thing to where, like, I realized that it made sense to me, like the ins and outs, you know, like I'm not saying, I'm not going to say that I instantly knew everything about sound. I still Mm -hmm. don't, you know, it's just far from it. The point being that I like, I grasped it pretty early. And so, um, what was your, because it was a youth service. Uh, what was your first, like, either, was it a large
0: church that you got, uh, on staff at, or was it Mm. a first tour that really was like, you know, after you learned a lot about it and what, what was your first big moment as a, as a producer or front of house engineer?
2: Yeah. So uh, I would say that um, uh, back when uh, a big moment, gosh, um, I would say uh, one thing that, that uh, part of, so When I graduated high school and even in high school, I was doing, you know, I was always I was the guy that figured out the school sound system. And so then they would say, hey, can you help us do our choir concerts? Can you help us do our band concerts? Can you help us do our talent shows and those kind of things? And then that. So I kind of knew that this is the direction I was heading into. Well, back then, there wasn't. Full sale, or at least Full sale, wasn't what it is now, Mm -hmm. you know, a a, a conservatory. All these schools, all these big schools that have names now and big programs weren't that back in 1990 when I graduated high school, you know. And so um, I did find a a school in town, um, uh, the Art Institute of Houston, and that had a video business, a video music business program studios. And I went there, graduated, you know, and part of the graduation there was to... You had to intern uh, in a field, and uh, that's where I got involved in the in the recording studio. Um, I had a connection to a recording studio, uh, and it was the age old story that everybody says. You know, I was sitting there taking notes and phone messages, and one day the guy says, "Hey, could you come in here and 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 show me this, show me that, see if you know how to do this?" and and I did, and uh, and then he's like, "Man, okay, well, you can come in at night and practice." And here I am, it was a, a, a kind of a known studio, popular studio in Houston that did a lot of big records. And and I got to come in at night and practice, you know, and then that kind of led to um, uh, around town and being in a big city like Houston is, you know, started to work at a club and started to work. And then at church, uh, one, one, one great thing at the church is it was it was a big, bigger Baptist church. And um, they, if you remember back then, there was these things called artists in residence. Mm-hmm. Um, i sure. don't know if you know what that is but oh yes <laughs> um i was and one. <laughs> back then were you really oh, okay yes. that's awesome so so back then the artist this is in the you know in late 80s and 90s there was an artist his name is wayne wayne watson yeah i remember and he uh yeah phenomenal guitar player phenomenal vocals uh great music and and he was the artist in the residence there well the good thing about uh, having somebody like that is that every time he would ask to for you to help him or do something right, whether it be run tracks or he would just perform at the church or something like that is that that person had a higher standard right mm-hmm. than what church was. And so when you would so one great thing about Wayne was that he he could just call out frequencies and so when he would say, hey, could you reach that EQ and pull down some 400? I did. And it got better. And mm-hmm. I and so I started making these associations. And and so doing that, the The thing about the church was that it was a big church. So we would do these big pageants and we had have a big orchestra and big choir. And we everything was big. Everything's bigger in Texas. Right. So um, anything <laughs> that did. you had to do was. Yeah. So everything we had to do was bigger. And I, here I am as this 18 year old, 19 year old kid in the middle of that, trying to how do you do these big choirs? How do you do these orchestras? You know, and there was a guy that I was kind of mentored me and, you know, I, at the time, you know, or he knew more than I did, you know, obviously I was a young kid um, and that uh, he was a very dedicated person to the church and, and, and did sound. And so I learned from him and, and, you know, and then I picked up ways to do things and that just kind of, It was one step in front of the other, you know, then I uh, I, because of the school, I met a person that worked at a radio station and then I spent I had a stint in major market radio, which was a whole nother world. So I worked in, you know, uh, like a radio station in a major city Um, and productions for that kind of deal was a whole different world, you know. I DJ in clubs for a long time uh all the while working in studio and doing live sound here at, at clubs and different places so i had a, like a big i was quickly in that those very young age like by before i was like 20 21 22 years old maybe around that time i was exposed to a lot of studio live radio station choir or churches and orchestras and um um, and so I was exposed to a lot. Um, and then I would say that um, through a series of, man, I would say uh, different connections, um, I get a phone call um, uh, with this guy. And he says, hey, can you come in? I'd love to interview you. Um, and uh, I want you to be my my second engineer, you know, assistant engineer. Today, we would say probably you the A2 or something like that. of at, and the the places at Second Baptist Houston, which is a oh, yeah. large church yeah, in Houston, at church. Um Ed Young's, yeah. So um, at the time, um, I would say at the time, it's probably safe to say that it was probably, the, the well, the, the auditorium itself. Toby, have you been in the, did you, have you been in the
0: auditorium? I know we've, we've chatted with them several times. Okay. I've never actually been yeah. in the auditorium.
2: Yeah. Great, great, great people there. So the auditorium now it's got seats, but it used to have pews. And when it was pews, the seat count—I mean, it was six thousand seats, probably. Yeah. It has double, double balconies. It's humongous. And then, um, so you walk in there, and all of a sudden, um, I end up getting a job at Second Baptist as the second uh, engineer. And mm-hmm. and again, the level of equipment was this—you know—not your. It wasn't your beginner. It was you know an Amic recall. Rn con- uh, yeah, that's console a, big, that's a serious big large format yeah mic microphones al- tons of inputs uh, the pa was uh, they had just installed a brand new uh, apogee sound sound system which was mm-hmm. you know kind of state of the art at the time you're kind of the leading in, in 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 different areas and so I was exposed again one of those other things I just got exposed to a lot of things yeah. early early on six months into this job um, I guess I'm now I'm probably I'm 22, three maybe 24 years old 6 months into this job the guy that hired me says hey um just want to let you know i'm, I'm going to go uh i'm, I'm going to go put in my resignation you know i'll give it some time but i'm going to i'm going to be leaving for another for another thing and you know 3 or 4 months 2 months later i think he was gone and here i am at 24 years old um running that's in <laughs> charge of Of running the ship of probably one of the largest churches in America at the time, you know, and not only the size of the building, but the uh, congregation too. And
0: we've heard this story, like such a similar story over and over recently where, you know, 22-year-olds come in and all of a sudden, six months later, a year later, they are running the show of a 4,000-seat auditorium, a 5,000-seat auditorium. So, Harold, you're young, you're, um, you're the you know, the head engineer for Second Baptist in Houston and one of the biggest churches in the country. And then, you know, fast forward in your career, you've been out on the road with Stephen Curtis Chapman, Crowder, United, like all these names. You know, what I'm, what I want to learn from you is how did your approach in church then translate to touring? And then how do you bring, you know, how do you translate between the two and how can, you know, a lot of our audience is church tech directors and they're mixing in churches and mm-hmm. they're trying to get some of that vibe, that Elevation and Hillsong and all those people are creating out on yeah. the road. And so what are some of the things that you've learned out on the road that you can then translate back into church to, to help create just m- memorable worship experiences?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. And real quick, just, uh, you mentioned United. I, I never mixed for United. It was a, it I think you're referring to maybe an event that was called CCM United oh, yeah. um, which was a a big like 40 artist event that I had to mix for and it was crazy but that's right but just to be clear just a um uh I never mixed for Hillsong United or anything like that but the uh um so yeah um well uh and I don't have, I don't have to go far from where I left off with the going to because in the church of Second Baptist there was a band that was forming and a band that had come up and it was the college and youth band kind of deal at the time, that band that formed, um, we were all friends and it was a band called Cademan's call um, that was in that church. And so, and man, we all were in that church together and they blew it out of the gate with their music and their first record, just national record blew up Mm -hmm. and a bunch of number ones and, and they went on the tour and they, and they kind of, you know, um, and so I was a buddy and I was at the church and, and so quickly we, we, in the same way that I kind of fell, not fell into, but kind of, you know, got these other jobs and then stayed at with Cayman. it was like, Hey, can you come help us do this weekend run? Can you help us with this? Can you know this? And, and I would go do shows with them and we were all figuring it out. I mean, we, we did the van tours, we did all these things, but, um, but to kind of fast forward a little bit, when you mentioned like, going back and forth between church and, and, um, and touring. Um, man, I, I think a lot of the skill sets are, are the same as far as when you get down to the technical side of things, like maybe, you know, uh, controlling the console, you know, and setting up things and maybe dialing things and, and, and effects that we use or methods that we use to do that. I think we're, some of the differences are um is that in um in church world um it there's there's a, let me let me rephrase that in touring world there's there's variables that are way beyond your control um that happen and and it's day to day, like you know, you're in a different room. You're in a, with sometimes the different PA, sometimes with different gear. Um, so a lot of things that are way beyond your control that really affect the really affect the the evening, um, aren't in your control. And so, but you have to deal with it, you know. And so, and you have to deal with it within. You have to figure that out within a few hours, you know. Um, in church, you know, every room has a sonic sig- signature. And then, and then every room has their challenges and, and, every, and every performance you're going to have, you have to deal with, well, this drummer plays this loud in this room or this drummer, you know, we get a little bit of bleed or, you know, the age old questions, you know, that everybody has. And then, and then like, or maybe the like PA sounds a certain way or, or the, the room resonates at this. Well, over time, you deal with that and you get it dialed in, you know, and so then that environment doesn't change frequently once you get a you know your stage setup might change your band might change and that kind of stuff but the room is the room and 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 so i think that
0: since you've been on the road so much do you have any favorite venues or rooms that you mix in that just stick out in your mind like oh that was an ultimate experience or gosh that room sounded amazing or that pa was over the top
2: man i i I don't get too caught up in in saying that 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 a room sounds amazing. If I can get the show to where I wanted to feel, then I feel like that night I succeeded, right? Um, um, but as far as rooms that I've been in that I kind of say wow, I that I pinch myself in, or that I would it, it, the Ryman Auditorium, for example, in 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 um, yeah in Nashville is is one that I still. I mean, I've been in it, I've been doing shows in it now for. 13 years, maybe 14 years. And, and still every day I, I, you know, I I walk in, I, I, when I walk into it, I, I'm still in that same, the same feelings come up because it's it's the legendary venue and it's, um, um, and so much of the history that's there. Another one would be that, you know, I've gotten to take shows into Carnegie Hall. Oh, wow. uh, and that's, that's, that's a, cool. a magical space, you know, uh, any specific uh, Kennedy Center, in Washington,
0: any specific churches that stick out in your mind of like, that's a great church to mix in. That room just is something special.
2: Hmm. Um, well, I would say I would have to, I would have to qualify that in, in whether I brought a PA in or not, you know, but I would say, um, I remember, you know, <laughs> you our buddy, uh, that we mentioned, um uh Dave Rodiger, you know when he was over at uh at, at um Bayside Bayside in Sacramento I remember uh one of the first times I, I got in there um and I remember just walking in and kind of you know that gave I think Lee, well Lee was there yeah for sure and you know gave him the lines and and then turned on the PA and I was like and I looked at my you know smart rig and all this and i was like man i really don't have to do much to this, you know, it was pretty dialed in. And, and so, you know, like I said, there's, there's rooms that you walk into and like you turn on and then you have a sonic mind print of, of where you want the night to be. And so if you're starting way off from that, then, you know, you're gonna have to do a lot of work, but if you're, you're starting off and your reference tracks are sounding great and and it's just a little tweak here and there, and then you're going to be that much better. And, you know, um, I have this kind of thing that I, I like to, I like to mix as opposed to I like to, you know, then, then having to fix things, you know. And so um, I think when we get to those places where the room works great, the PA that's in, it's installed well and sounds good and it's tuned well and and all these things working, then it, the experience becomes greater. You know, it's all it's all some of the parts. Right. All yeah. these little things. And so. Um, when, when all that lines up, then, then it makes for a really pleasurable night for both the artist, the audience and yourself as a, as an engineer, you know? So let's talk about the moments when it doesn't go right. When I, all the,
0: yeah, these two disaster stories that have been hanging on from the, the five truths and a lie. Yeah. The
1: tension is looming too much. I got to pop it. Tell me, tell me the disaster stories. Okay. Man.
0: The line array fell uh, on somebody.
2: What'd you do, Harold? Oh gosh. So I would say this, you know, you know, that, um, you know when you, I don't know if you ha- in the shop there you have a ladder, right? And if you look on the side of the ladder, there's this long strip of things that you should not do on the ladder, like all these warnings. Frank right? could tell you those, by and heart. you kind of go. I think
1: we're gonna find out like, you that know, he actually wasn't mixing in the like he was mixing in the prison <laughs> because he put in prison for killing someone. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. there's a reason. There was a reason I was in prison. Oh, uh, the, um, uh, but yeah, I, I think that. Um, so this would have been I think ninety nine two thousand. I think it would have been two thousand. And so line arrays hadn't been out. Uh, they were, they've been out, but they're just one as popular as they are now. I mean, there was a few manufacturers that had line arrays and, um, and so, and even so there weren't like, you know, very, very attainable. I mean, you could get them, but anyways, but on, I was out on a, on a tour with Cadence Cole and we had a, we had a Martin line array, uh, W8LMs, I think. So not, 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 not a huge box, but, you know, two eights and, uh, and I think I had eight hanging, uh, and it was on lifts and, um, the way that, that, that one particular line array, uh, hangs is from a single point from where the harness is, uh, there's a single point. And so what you have to do when you have to hang it off of a lift with, with, uh, forks is you have to use two shackles to turn one and then you run the, the, the span set through it and to lift it up. And so um, I hung one side up. Stage left was great. Go to stage right. And the PA kept turning on me, kept turning on me. I couldn't get it to center. And then I found out that the, you know, I look up and, and the shackle was turned. And so I was like, man, okay, I gotta, I gotta get up there and I gotta turn the shackle, you know, uh, for it to sit right. And I'm like, man, I was, it's one of those moments where I'm like, man, I do not want to, because I was on a lift, you know, the only way I couldn't bring the PA down enough that I had to, um, I had to take apart, take apart the whole line array to get to, you know, be able to do this and take the weight off. And so I had this stupid idea of, Hey, I'll land the PA, take the weight off and quickly turn the shackle, which requires unbuckling it and, you know, and then turn it and putting it back. The thing was that I even practiced it. I grabbed the span set, I put a shackle, put the other shackle on it and see how long it would actually take me to do it. And I was like, oh, I can do this. It's no big deal. So I get up there, I bring the PA down, put the PA on the floor, take the weight off the span set. And uh, and I know every every tech director, every production person right now, uh, my friends that, that may listen to this stuff are going, no, you didn't. And I was, and yes, I did. Um, and um, <laughs> Blake would have too. Uh, it's fine. but this well, is it's why. Toby's this is be why this is happening <laughs> right now. Ho- hopefully, hopefully, you know, people are going. You know, they're like, see, that's that's why you don't do it. And I will save, I will save somebody. Uh, but the thing was that I, uh, I said, okay, and I, I got somebody, uh, I got this kid, you know, and I said, hey, listen. Um, when I landed the PA, you know, it was kind of balanced. And so I could, I could literally move it myself. And so I was like, Hey, can you just put your hands on this and just put a little bit of weight on it? Don't push it, but just put your weight. on. I'm quickly going to release this and, and put and hook it back up. And he's like, sure. And so I was like, okay, everybody ready? Okay, here we go. And I released it. And wouldn't you know that at that very second, somebody in the room goes, Hey, Harold. And so I turned my head. Mm and when i get back the pa wasn't there <laughs> you know it oh, like it man. was going and i was like and uh and man i mean in a split second this pa so you can imagine was on the floor and it starts you know falling over and this kid is there and this pa falls all the way to the ground makes all this noise chairs go flying and all the stuff and from where I'm at, I'm looking down, and all I see is basically two hands and two legs, and this oh is gosh. PA on top of this person. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, it was solid in the room. I jumped probably the 10 feet or 12 feet from the top of the lift all the way to the ground and got there and quickly went to the ground. And I kid you not, I dive into the ground, see what this person is, and I'm just ready for anything. And I look at this kid, and he goes, he looks at me, and he goes, Whoa. <laughs> that was, that's what he said. He just kind of said, whoa. And I'm like, okay, don't move. Okay. Um or what what hurts? What, are you Is everything or you know, like I'm trying I'm first of all, I'm glad that he spoke, right? And then I'm like, okay, what's you know, where where's the PA on you? And he's like, Man, I I I think I'm fine. And he kind of shimmies out from underneath the PA. And the PA, I mean, had fallen. And literally had landed at the top, the, 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 top thing had landed on a chair, which didn't give because it broke other chairs. And that kept it about a foot and a half from actually falling all the way wow. to the ground. And that's where this guy, that little cavity is where this guy was. And, the Lord saved him and, with that uh, chair. Dude, I mean, I mean, I, I was not the same, uh, that rest of the day, the rest, I mean, from now, I mean, I, even now that I think about that, I mean, how yeah. quickly, uh. A stupid decision or a, you know, um, uh, just something that you kind of go. I think it's just a lesson. I mean, for me, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, how quickly something, why you go, okay, why you do safety harnesses, why you do your safeties on lights, why you do, you know, you double check things. Because, I mean, that's, I practiced it and I was like, oh, it's going to be really quick. And all of a sudden somebody called my name and that was that second of distraction. And that's all it took for me to take my eye off of it. And. And it could have changed somebody's life, you know. And so, um, yeah. Okay. So anyway, and so then uh, that's amazing. Go and ahead. How about yeah. that
0: front of house console that went down thirty minutes before a stadium show?
2: Yeah. So uh, yeah, losing the console meant that I that the console like died. Um, uh, and what I knew console exactly was where it? Where the front of house console? It was a big analog console. Uh, it was a large frame Midas Heritage two thousand H two thousand. Okay. Um, and uh, a, a rack, a couple of racks of analog gear, and the show was um, a stadium show in uh, Bermuda, Hamilton, Bermuda, for the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And so, ton of inputs, uh, a full band in the choir. And I will not say the choir; the choir is like three hundred people, right? And wow. so, that's like um, some small
1: churches attendance right there.
2: It's uh, it was it's huge. Well, anytime you do anything with uh, the Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, Choir. Um, they are, it, it's a ton of moving people, you know, moving people everywhere. And and then with that comes a lot of gear and a lot of, a lot of everything, right? Big stage, big, you have to to fit all that. Um, I was the production manager and also the uh, front of house guy for that show. And I, I said that we were Hamilton Bermuda. The reason I say that is because uh, there's not gear down the street or a shop down yeah. the street or a church churchgear.com down the street that you can just call up and go, hey, could you have this? No. We literally had containered everything from the United States uh, wow. to pull the show off that size uh, stages and everything and and so what had happened was that um, uh, we had set up the PA a day, couple of days before we tuned it you know we did sound checks with the band brought the choir over the choir we did a sound check everything was sounding great um, we all you know were ready for show you know start playing some playback music and then we all go to the backstage. And the thing to, to know about um, doing shows in island countries, especially outdoors is that usually about five, 6 pm somewhere in there or coastal any Understorm. coastal town is that usually there's a little little quick squab that go, comes in you know comes comes through and and and, uh, and then you're like and that's it. It's just a quick probably 30 minute, maybe something a little quick little downpour and then it's over you know and it clears up. And we were ready for it. I mean, the production company that we hired, the vendor, you know, they were ready for it. And so they had the tarps, they had all the stuff and, you know, we were all ready for this thing. And so we, we purposely finished soundcheck in order for it to cover everything up and do all that. Well, we um, go to a uh, catering, we're backstage, you know, the show wasn't going to start to, you know, for a few hours, whatever. Well, then like 30, 45 minutes or so before the show. I get this uh, tap on the shoulders like, Hey, do you, are you hearing what's happening with the sound of the noises coming out of the PA? And start, I walk out to the front and sure enough, there was this, you know, it sounded like a loose cable, like mm-hmm. something shorting out. And uh, so I make my way to front of house and lift up the tarps. Um, and sure enough, when I, uh, every time the noise would happen, all the LEDs would just light up, would just be lighting up. Call the system tech over, call the, Production people over, and they we quick we powered down the console. Anyways, we still don't know how what we think is, or at least what they think is that rain from the spot towers up above. We were up on this big uh, deck, and there were spot towers above. That rain came down, wasn't directly hitting where the console was, but because there was a series of tarps, the it worked its way in and finally into the console. Because when they that console is a modular console, so you can take and put strips out. When we took stuff out, there was probably, they said a half inch to an inch of water wow. uh, in the console. And so um, so long story short was that they ended up um, we, we got to a point where we we did a bunch of troubleshooting and and, and time was running out. The, the show was about to start. And I remember that we had in the truck a Mackie. SR 244 oh dot 244 I don't even know if you guys have any of that Not stuff anymore. If, you nope. know No but um, it's a little it's got 20 inputs and a couple of stereo channels um, I dropped a 248 or something like that yeah, in the bathroom did. once yep.
1: Yep. back at the barn uh,
2: and and uh and I remember there was one in the trailer and we had it because we had we, the, the 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 choir was doing some ministry events throughout town before and so we just needed a little, I guess, back in the night you know, year 90 something, whatever. That's all we had. So it's all analog. And so we, um, I was like, hey, go get that board. Because my thought was, hey, at least I can put the opening act on, which was a couple of handhelds and tracks. And at least we'll get that going. It'll buy me 30 minutes right until we figure this out. And um, so we brought it over and we started moving lines over. And then. We, uh, I remember somebody had run over to across where the stadium was, across the plaza where the stadium was. There was like a, kind of like a Walgreens or a CVS type store, where you know, and they found hair dryers there. So, they, <laughs> so all of a sudden, like five hair dryers show up at a uh, at front of house, oh, and uh, and they're taking, they're sorry, they're taking um, uh, modules out and drying them with towels, and then and then air drying them, and inside the console, drying everything up. Well, we get the console powered back up, and um, the only thing that we could we thought we'd well, this will just work, right? no, and so the only thing that actually ended up working was the left side of the console out of the insert sends of the subgroup oh my that's gosh. the only output I could wow. get out of the console. only the left side which just happened to be where the band inputs were. so I took those channels into the Mackie, I took the choir and the soloist into the Mackie, I took one reverb unit into the Mackie no i mean i had a rack full of lexicons and yeah. all kinds of gates no can't use any of that stuff and literally did a whole stadium show on a Mackie with a Midas sitting right in front of me. like the Mackie was on top of the Midas yeah. um <laughs> and uh and and uh mixing everything off of a Mackie. and it you know what here's the deal the nobody in the crowd knew right it was fine and it, it was an incredible night because the choir got to sing I mean, we only started the show maybe 30 minutes, 30 minutes late. Mm-hmm. Um, we did all that and it wasn't a great, a great response at the end of the night. Cause it was, there was some ministry happening there was some teaching happening. And so a big turnout stadium was full and, and it was a great night. And I think at the end of the day, we all kind of went like, that's the bigger story, you know, like we can get wrapped up and all that stuff. But I think that's probably um good, uh, when you look at these things, there's always a bigger story being told at each one of these events and we can get, be it, we can get, you know, we can get easily, we're really good at getting mm. sucked into how good the snare drum sounds and lose the sight of the big picture, you know.
1: Yeah, keeping the big picture yeah. in mind is really important, especially keeping us level in those, yep. in those moments. Um, well, Harold, yep. uh, we'd love to wrap all our episodes on a tech takeaway, something that you would tell if there was a, you know, a sea of tech directors right in front of you that would make their Sundays better. Yeah.
0: Here we a couple extra hair dryers, apparently.
1: Yeah, apparently that's one of them. <laughs> um, but now it could be philosophical, relational, any of the, any of the old's. Uh, what, yeah. what would you say uh, as a tech takeaway for our, our, our tech directors?
2: Yeah, man, I, I, I think I can sum up a lot of um, uh, everything that, you know, we can plan to talk about and stories and all this stuff. And I, I think when, when I look back, at everything I've I've done and you know and, and I'm still kind of every single day is a common practice. I think for me I'm I'm pretty short sighted, and I have to kind of look back to remember where I am and where I'm going. Right, like I'm. It's kind of like the way I find myself and find center myself and and then you know form a path. But um, but I think that um, I would I would say to answer your question, and I think you you just said it. You just nailed it. It's always keeping. It's always keeping, um, having a real clear, clear picture of what the, what the big picture is, what the story is. And that, that, that there's a lot in that answer, like, because if you're a tech director, um, you need to have that clear picture because you got to communicate that to the rest of your team because your tier, the rest of your team is tasked with audio and that can be very specific and we can break that down. There's the guy that makes us front of house, the guy that makes his monitors, the guy that makes his broadcast, uh, the stage managers, a lot of guys in the audio team, right? And then there's like the worship leaders and they have their area, which is music. And then they have the lighting people and the and the video people. And everybody has their little niche and their routes and their their lanes that they need to operate in. Um, But you as a tech director, I think you have to, you yourself have to have a clear um, understanding of what the bigger picture is. Um, so you, and you need to communicate that. And I w- and I would say that you know that that's something that's free and that's something that doesn't cost anything and doesn't. But it's 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 forever changing in everything that that you do. Um, I I, I kind of use this kind of metaphor. But uh, Toby, okay, your company here, Church Gear. You guys have a shipping department, mm-hmm. right? And you're shipping gear probably daily, yep, right? Absolutely. And let's say that you w- yeah okay. And you walk in and you say, hey guys, can you get this package out? And, 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 and the guys will, you know, you're the boss and you walk in, they'll check the label and they'll go, okay, great. This package will go out with the, with the packages later on. Right now, let's say you walk in, you're like, Hey guys, um, this package, um, it's really important. I really need it to get out today. Can you make sure that it gets out today? It's kind of important. And so now that worker is going to grab that package and he's going to look at the, he's going to, he's going to see the urgency in your voice and he's going to go, hey, um, yeah, let me check it. Okay, I need to make sure this goes out today. Might put it at the top of the pile and he's going to do that, right? and He's going to do that work. Now, let's say, Toby, you walk in and you say, you know, let's say you walk in and you go, guys, I really, this is packed. We did it. We did it. We got to get this package out. And let's just say, maybe it's not church care, but in in another organization, you go, I have the cure to cancer right here. Mm -hmm. I need to get this out today. All of a sudden that worker goes, oh my gosh, like I got, and he's going to check that label. He might actually drive it to the UPS store or put it on the FedEx. guy. And he might actually say to the FedEx driver, hey, this is is really, you got to really protect us, right? Guess what? You never ask them to do anything different. He basically took a package. He basically did his job and he fulfilled it, right? He did his job. The thing about it now is he's got a whole different understanding of how important his job yeah, is. he understands the purpose. But he's not doing anything different. It's just, exactly, there's a bigger purpose. So, so I think that as we approach running sound, we need to be diligent and we need to train ourselves and we need to have our teams ready to faithfully do those responsibilities and do them good so that we're not in the way of anything that might be happening in the room. Right. Um, Yeah. But at the same time, you always need to have that bigger because patching the stage with a higher purpose now translates completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, And so running lights, you know, saying, Hey, I'm going to point people to look this way because over here there's this message happening, right. Videos. Like I want to make sure that what I have on the background doesn't take, doesn't, doesn't, You know, take away from what's happening in the foreground. Yeah. And I want to make sure when you're running video, you're like, man, I am the eyes to somebody, you know, that experience that somebody's having in their living room couch because they either chose to be at home or they can't make it to church. You are the one that's providing that experience to them. And we can worry about what lens we're, we're working on, what cameras we have, whether it's a red camera or this, or w- what switchers we have—carbonites or black magic, whatever. We can worry about all that stuff, and we need to. That's all important, right? But I think we all need to be really, really mindful of what the higher the higher purpose is and the higher story is, and and that doesn't just reside in church, you know. And a tour is the same thing, you know. I think we all need to be mindful of that, and um, yeah, keeping the. But yeah, I. I I think that's, that would be the tech talk, you know, man, I think we're really, really good at tech talks. Like we're really, really good at dude, what plugin are you using? Yeah. What console, what's your favorite compressor? What's camera lens? What lighting are you, what, what's your favorite console manufacturer? like we can get into all that stuff and we're really good at staying there. Right. But like, um, I love, we, we have, we have some mutual friends and you guys know Jeff Sandstrom, right. Mm-hmm. And he would, he would, he would tell the story that I love the way he phrases it that he said that um, you know, that he would be at a running, mixing for, for uh, Tomlin. And, and, you know, and everywhere you look, and this can be anywhere, passion, Calm, or at your local church, everywhere. There's going to be people that are, you know, they're, they're, they're in the seats and they're just hands across, you know, and they're just uh, whatever they got dragged there. Right. And I remember Jeff saying something was like, what do I need to do tonight for that guy to experience what's happening tonight mm. to, for that experience to change his life tonight? Maybe, you know, like, Dude, you are, and you, we can look at it and go, dude, you just run sound. You're just a mixer, you know? Like, yeah, but we we have a part in that story and what's happening in that night. And we have a responsibility. And so um, I think that's the, I love how Jeff is that and that he actually is going to take, puts himself in the line of fire of saying, I'm going to take an active role in that guy's experience tonight. Yeah, that's. That maybe. He's gonna let his arms down and let something in and experience and that might even be a life changing experience. Yeah, so that's
0: great. You know?
2: Yeah, focusing on the the why instead of the what. Yeah. Um
1: well Harold man, we really appreciate you coming on and all the all the stories. And I'm just glad that uh no one died in any of them. Um is there anything you wanted to <laughs> no, no, is there anything you no wanted death. to plug or point people to after this episode for them to find you at?
2: Uh man, uh at Harold Rubens, Facebook, Instagram. Twitter uh I'm never I'm never on Twitter but uh uh, Instagram uh Facebook uh yeah that's that's where that and and uh DM me or whatever yeah I mean I'm I'm an open book and and I love I love coming alongside people and and imparting experiences and 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 sharing stories yeah love it sweet I'll link those um well man thanks for coming on absolutely absolutely it's an honor thank you guys
1: Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope to see you back
0: next week for more absurd stories, tech takeaways, and overall buffoonery here at the Church Gear Studios. Blake, I feel like, uh, you know, he said come alongside people. And so obviously he even said prisoners. So I feel like even you, Blake, could learn something from Harold if you found him online. Toby, they
1: wouldn't let me in prison. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and be like, no, nope. <laughs> this whole thing's going to only church gear would take you. <laughs> only church gear would take me church gear and Jesus Christ. That's the only people taking
0: Blake Hodges. Um, and that's now my favorite moment of this podcast <laughs> okay. is the fact that only church gear would take Blake.
1: Well, my favorite moment of the podcast is when I get to give our listeners 11% off at churchgear.com with code podcast. Uh, Didn't
0: I cancel that code? You
1: better use that code before Toby cancels it. But thankfully he doesn't know how to work the back end of the website. That's a, that's a hundred
0: percent true. Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church gear.
1: Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-A-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just
0: did something like, go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works.